0: it's an amazing smile even the suit has tea everything flash and guile nothing underneath except a small black heart no one sees but me i've been watching i can see you start to wonder Welcome to Quadcast.
1: I'm Grant Bruner, and with me today is three guests—not not just the one, but three total. So first of all, is Christopher Bunye. How, how are you, Christopher? I'm fine. The reason I'm why fine. I just stumbled there is because we actually have two uh, Chris's on the show. So from from here on out, Christopher Bunier will be Christopher. Next up is Chris Farrell. How are you, Chris?
2: Hey, glad to be here. Happy you could have me. Looking Great. forward to the talk.
1: And then with us also is Justin McDonald. How are you, Justin? I'm good. Thanks, guys. Glad to be here. So, uh, Christopher, is there anything that people
2: would know you from? Is there something that you, is there a website or a podcast that you, that you do?
1: No, not really a website
3: or podcast at, at present.
2: So, Chris, they might be familiar with me. I am the co-host and co-founder of the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast, and I also write a weekly video game column for 401 Mania's game section.
1: Great. And Justin, is there is there a website or a podcast that everybody should know about? Um, Nothing for me. I'm kind of like uh, Christopher in that regard. Today, we're going to focus on just the first Mass Effect game. So we want to talk about what's good, what's bad, what we would change if we had the opportunity to do so. So let's start off Christopher. What actually brought you to the Mass Effect universe?
3: I'm going to confess one thing, guys. First off, several months ago, uh, I picked up actually Mass Effect 2 and played that first. It was sort of a markdown game. I thought, all right, this could be nice. And then all of a sudden when I started playing, it's like, oh, my God, I've got to go back and do this proper.
2: So, Chris, have a similar story to Christopher? For me, what got me hooked or started on Mass Effect was I loved BioWare's earlier games like Knights of the Republic and Jade Empire. I, I fell in love with those games because the gameplay was fun and there was a fantastic story. When I first got my Xbox 360, there weren't a lot of RPGs out there, and I saw that BioWare was putting out an RPG that was supposed to be the space epic, and I said, you know what, I need to try that. I fully admit that I was bored for the first couple hours, but after that, once the story set in, I was hooked on this series, and I haven't looked back since.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mass Effect has an interesting story, especially it gets more interesting as you go along, because you get more added elements, but the real kicker, the real strong point in the Mass Effect series is... The character and the world building. It is upfront when you don't know anything about the characters and you don't know anything about the world. You're still learning. You don't really know anything yet. It is hard to get into it. Um, but once you start knowing the characters and you start becoming invested in the characters and start caring about what does Ezo mean, and like you're learning about these things. It's then when you become hooked. It's not necessarily just because, oh, there's Saren and he's a bad guy and now I care a lot. It, no, I mean, like it's, it's a pretty generic, at least the plot of, of Mass Effect 1, and it could be argued for all three, it's not a, a new concept, it's not like a crazy, uh, inventive, never-been-done-before done, story, the plot, but the characters in the world. So, Justin, how did you come, come along to the Mass Effect universe?
4: Well, actually, I had uh, I'd first read the book, um, Revelation. Uh, that got me hooked onto the series because I saw that uh, Drew Carpenter had uh, written that book, and I'd seen some of his work that he did with like the Knights of the Old Republic um, and some other Star Wars books that he had written. So I just read that and got into the story, and then actually my brother told me about it um, that it was actually a video game. And I, I mean, so I just powered through the book, and then going into the game with a kind of some background knowledge of what was going on helped helped me get into the game at the beginning. I think a little bit.
1: Yeah, because I would imagine most people do it the opposite way, which is, yeah. hey, you play. The- the game and then you go in and, and you're like, if you're really interested in it, you can go and get the book. But this, that's actually, I would say, it's probably a better way to go into it because you get this rich backstory with Anderson and Saren and then you get, and then you go jump in and you already know the characters and are invested.
4: I mean, the first act when you like, you're almost, you're already familiar with Anderson, I mean, after reading the book, so I mean you can always already make that connection there. And then you know um, right away when when Saren is revealed, you're like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah I'm like, okay, this is, I, I mean the backstory of, uh, I mean, I don't know, the doctor that, I mean, is messing around with that artificial intelligence and Mm -hmm. I mean it. Kind of, it kind of laid it out a little bit easier, I think, for me.
1: Were you hooked completely in the book itself, or did it take until you played the first Mass Effect before you you're like, you know what, this is
4: a series that I really care about? Um, I mean, it was when I started playing the game. Um, it was it was nice to get a, more of a visual, I guess. Like, okay, that's what an, a Turian actually looks like. I mean, I know Seren's on the front, but I mean, okay, this this is what uh, I mean. The Citadel. Like when he's talking about the Citadel, mm-hmm. this is what it's look, like. This is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So just buying in with that visual, I mean, mixed on, like mixed in with the, the soundtrack, and just I don't know, it just it really did get me uh, hooked in, and I don't know, sold on the whole series, I guess.
1: So Christopher, you know, you started out with Mass Effect Two, where you where classes make a big, a much bigger difference than they do in the first game. What class did you start out with? And I, I'm actually really fascinated to know if you picked a different class when you started back over again.
3: Uh, truthfully, to answer your first, second question first. I didn't. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually trying multiple playthroughs. Mm-hmm. For the characters that I've played throughout so far. Your your cannon chef. Um, of course. Okay. Uh, the canon the, my cannon chef is a male that is an infiltrator. For me, when I started Mass Effect One, I mean and properly went through the trilogy, I'm admittedly a bit of a James Bond fan. Mm-hmm. So I'm okay with sneaking around, and shooting enemies from afar getting in close, that type of thing. That's so, it, that is
1: interesting. So the, the class itself is kind of influencing the way you perceive Shepard as a character.
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: Chris Farrell, do you have a specific background that influences the character, or you just pick it strictly for gameplay options?
2: For the character choice I made, I, the first time I went through is a Vanguard, just because I liked the concept of being able to combine the, the adept side of things and combine the soldier, because I was like, hey, this almost makes you the biggest badass in the galaxy because you have these these powers that are almost like the magic of a sci-fi universe and you can also wield guns like anyone and the first time i went through it was just because i wanted to be the biggest badass i could be and i figured hey vanguard's gotta be
1: justin what class did you pick and does it inform the character
4: um not really i I picked vanguard for my first playthrough as well uh, starting in mass effect one and actually in mass effect two i decided to keep the same way until i realized the the ammo change and I, i blew through ammo so quick um so i actually restarted my mass effect 2 game went vanilla went with the soldier then when actually you get to that reaper basin two, and then you can actually choose an additional gun i was kind of ticked about that but i mean my favorite playthrough would probably have to be the infiltrator um i just i mean i love being able to i mean snipe people from far away but also um i mean like you said you were talking with the cloaking too
1: yeah, cloaking is a big, big deal. I mean, and that's what's so strange is that when when people think Vanguard, they think charge. They think biotic charge. When yeah. people think infiltrator, they think cloak. And having played through the first one and going back, it's like wow, the the, the classes were so generic at, in the first game. They all they kind of interchangeable and like yeah, okay, this one has the ability to do to do tech. This one has the ability to do biotics. But you know what? even the biotic abilities were kind of generic in one where I play, I personally play my, my cannon ship as an adept and I really wasn't using much strategy. I was just saying, Hey, because the Mm -hmm. cooldowns work differently in one and two in one, I'm just like, whatever my, whatever ability I have, that's not, uh, you know, cooling down at the moment. I'm just going to throw that at this and hopefully it'll work with two. Not only does it, does the cooldowns work differently where it's a universal cooldown you're also getting colors so basically it's teaching you by what's you know colored differently mm-hmm. uh which ones you should be using for different you know shields versus barriers versus armor, which is really interesting and allows much more tactical gameplay
4: exactly and it's it's tough I mean going back and playing i mean after playing two and three going back and trying to do a full playthrough again through one it's it's a painful process it's a good sometimes. thing that
1: comic exists for a Mass Effect yeah
4: <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna ask what what console did you guys play on, or did you do a PC?
1: Yeah, Christopher, uh, what 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 console did you play on?
4: Oh, I played on a PC. Okay, and Chris, I played on my Xbox. And what did you do, Justin? Yeah. I uh, I'm actually both Xbox and PC. I'm trying out the the high uh, resolution textures um, that you can do on the PC. Mm-hmm. I guess I just discovered those, and that's it's made it a bit easier process going through and playing one again everything looks pretty sharp
1: yeah because in one who thinks uh it's the graphics <laughs> i mean they're all using ba- the same uh, underpinning technology except that you know the tweaks that you can make and and you know using the t- the technology uh to make much better looking things it, it, there's a huge difference between uh the way one looks and all the way down to three what three looks like they've done a lot of improvements to the engine and and their their use of the engine to get things looking nice and pretty at the time, I only owned a PlayStation 3, and so I, I when Mass Effect 2 came out on PlayStation 3, I got it, and then I played it, and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit this back. I, I can't do this. And then eventually, I actually went and purchased a, an Xbox 360 because I'm a Mac. I'm a Mac user. I don't I don't use Windows. I actually bought an Xbox, and I bought Mass Effect, and I bought Mass Effect 2, and did a playthrough of those two on on the Xbox. And then when Mass Effect 3 came out, got it on the Xbox as well. So I I, I started on the PlayStation 3. What went to
2: Xbox? So, did you just get your Xbox for Mass Effect?
1: Well, that's what I mean. Was that was that was the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> I also I also played other
2: games on it, but that was
1: the that was the catalyst. So now now that we know, apparently, Infiltrator huge 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 hit. Everybody loves Infiltrator. Uh, I'm the only one here that that really likes the Adapt because I like being a space wizard. What background information? Now, C- Christopher, you know, Earthborn or spacer? What's what's your deal with that?
3: Oh, I chose a spacer. I was drawn to the spacer uh, background. It felt like. That was a much more rounded background for Shepard.
1: And what's your demeanor? A war hero. Uh so you're basi- you're, ba- you're basically playing Space Jesus. Yes, basically. So, Chris, uh w- what did uh what's your background and then what's your demeanor? I was also Space Jesus. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I I was as well. Justin, are you going to make this an even poor?
4: Um, I was uh I was spacer and then soul survivor actually for me. So, I'm a little now, What
1: what drove you to pick soul survivor?
4: Um, I felt uh I don't know. It kind of maybe I don't know gave a reason to my shepherd for actions why he acted the way he did cuz I didn't go all full paragon or full renegade. I just kind of played uh, in between I guess um how I would react to the situation.
1: I wish I could do that. I can't bring myself to do it.
4: I have the it's, same problem. It's tough. <laughs> Me too. Because
1: it's. A, it's a- I. I. I mean, what's great about Mass Effect Three is that they redid the way that you do Paragon and Renegade checks, which mm-hmm. is great, um, because that way you can you actually can play that way without penalty in the game. But man. Doing Mass Effect 2, if you want to get all, as much out of it as possible, you kind of have to pick one or the other. You, it's hard to do both because you'll miss Alan so much.
4: The renegade interrupts are so fun sometimes too. Um, yeah,
1: and then it, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, man. Uh, <laughs> they are fun. Every everybody loves to punch that reporter. Oh yeah. I want I
3: wanted to, but I couldn't.
1: My my cannon shep is completely Paragon. And I have to say, this is not an ME3 uh, episode, but I have to say a little bit uh, about Mass Effect 3 is that I, when I played, I, I went through it and did a second playthrough as a Renegade, um, where at the at the point in, in the Genophage cure where Morden is going to go and take the cure and you have to shoot him, I, mm. I couldn't do it. I, I, I actually had to reload three times because I couldn't get myself to pull the trigger to, to shoot him. It was so difficult.
2: I had the same problem when I did my Renegade run on Mass Effect Three. As I was sitting there, I was like, "Man, I love this character. I went through all this effort to put him on the right path in Mass Effect Two. I was like, "I can't just kill him. And every time that interrupt would end, I'd be like, "Ah, oh, crap.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is really, really tough to do that unless you're, you know, you're a complete heartless monster. In which case, I'm sure it's quite easy to just bam, bam, pop him right, in the, right in the back. Um, so, actually, let's let's get into it and actually talk about. Mass Effect 1. Now, let's talk, we're going to go through and just kind of glance on all the different parts of the main plot points in the story. You start off on the Normandy, and you're introduced to Joker... You're introduced to Nihilus, and you're introduced to Caden. Each of those characters, when you first saw them, well, obviously you saw you had seen uh, Joker at least. Were you confused? Did you know that Nihilus was going was not in Mass Effect 2? So you're thinking, oh well, he's clearly not you know important. Was that what was your thought process of after having played two, going back to play one?
3: When I went through my proper you know, trilogy playthrough, as I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, Joker is obviously one of the mainstays. He's sort of like Sulu in that respect, but also in a different manner. Which once you get to know Joker, it's like, oh, this guy is supposed to be like your best friend on the show. Should I say the game? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, he. I mean, they call him Jo They don't call him Joker for nothing. He cracks jokes. He's a guy that's the best pilot in in the fleet. However, also that does not necessarily make him uh, without character. Uh, when I saw Nihilus, I didn't know his fate eventually but also i knew it was like well maybe he'll just go off later on in the game or something like that
1: so chris uh, what, what did you think about what did you think about the first three characters that you're really introduced to
2: when joker came in i recognized seth green's voice so i said okay he's gonna be, he's gonna probably be the funny character in all this mm-hmm. of course like with the name joker you kind of figure he will be mm-hmm. but at the same time i figured you'd see kind of a hybrid of seth green in there where he'd also have moments of heart which i hoped and but That was early on. Then uh, Caden, uh, the first thing I thought was, why is Karth Onassi in this game? (laughs) What is Karth Karth doing here? Because he did not change his voice at all between Mm -hmm. Karth and Caden. So I was like – I, I did not like Karth I was sitting there I was going well maybe this Caden will be better No, it wasn't no, but <laughs> no not <laughs> no.
1: really no, I'm-
2: he's really the most blandest
1: character also yeah. you know I, I'm not I'm not you know in any way like a, a an expert on, on voice acting but having heard Raphael Sparge talk who's the voice actor of both Karth and Caden he sounds the same when he's just talking in his-
2: he's not doing a voice he's just talking exactly yeah. and he sounds the exact same on Once Upon a Time because he's on there too and the voice is the exact same
1: it should really be raphael sabarj as raphael sabarj
2: that, that's what i think because i just haven't heard any differences and i mean i haven't gone back and looked at his resume but it's just whenever i recognize his voice
1: mm.
2: it sounds the exact same and, and what so what, what do you think uh, oh and what did you think about nihilus nihilus i wasn't sure who he was but i said hey this is the first alien we're getting to meet so mm. there's got to be something cool that comes out of that
1: so justin uh, having read the book and, and kind of understanding what a specter is at least in some point what, what were your thoughts on the first three characters
4: I, I was the same as Chris as far as, I mean, Joker being there. I was like, I, I love Seth Green. So, I mean, super stoked to have him in there. But I, did, I didn't trust Nihilus at all. Um, one, I mean, he was a Turian inspector, and the only other Turian inspector that I knew was, uh, was Saren. I didn't trust him all that much but I mean Anderson was there so I was like okay you know if Anderson's kind of dealing with this guy you know I think I'm okay right um, because
1: you know even especially with especially if Anderson's uh, you know thinks enough of him to trust him that's pretty that's pretty big because obviously he would be biased against uh, you know Turian inspectors
4: yeah I mean he's he's like okay you know he's here to check you out I mean and then he lets me know that I might be a specter and I mean once I mean once he told me that I was just I Okay.
1: So, Christopher, on, on your way, you can talk to, to Jenkins, poor poor Jenkins, and uh, Dr. Chakwas. Now, did you actually stop your first time and talk to them, or you just blow past them to get to Anderson?
3: Oh, I talked to them. The, the, the great thing about Mass Effect is that you get to interact with characters. Yes, they may be dead in, like, 20 minutes. That doesn't make them less compelling. Dr. Chakwas, it's also, it's like, all right, she's, a, she's the CMO, she is experienced respect her but also it's like it's 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 she's one of the characters that if you play it properly through or at least the way that i did mm-hmm. um you she's there paragon, th- th- then yeah oh yeah if you play paragon that she's there throughout the trilogy yeah i mean like at, on the on the normandy throughout the trilogy they
1: did a so, wonderful job with with the paragon story where you're you, you know you ask her back at three and all that it they do a great job with this, just it, she's just a side character. She isn't really yes. even important to the story. She just is this flavor character that's there to add depth to your crew, and yeah. it's wonderful.
3: That's why, that's why I like this experience, because even though that Chakwas doesn't have a really big role throughout the trilogy— mm-hmm. She is a constant presence.
1: Chris, now did you did you stop to talk? Are you are you the stop to talk type, or did you just blow right by him and and head to uh, Anderson?
2: I stopped to talk to them. I learned my lesson from earlier Bioware games. You never want to blow past talking to people. When you got
1: there, were you thinking, "Hey, you know, this might be an important character, or he's as important as the other characters that we met," or you just think he's you know one of the one of the many nameless people
2: that you see? Honestly, the first thing I thought when I met and talked to him is he was a red shirt. Yeah, he, he ends up really <laughs> bigger than And I was like, I don't think this guy's going to last long. There's a reason why they want me to meet this guy and get attached to him this early on. And mm-hmm. maybe it's just because I'm cynical, but I was going, oh, he's done. Yeah, and then what about you, Justin?
4: Um, no, I, I, I stopped to talk. Um, and like, with Chalkwis, I mean – she, like, I don't know, she she might have been one of my more favorite characters of the whole trilogy. I mean, she almost seemed like an, like an older moral compass kind of thing that can kick back and handle her Sarah's Ice brandy with me.
1: Moving on, you know, you actually go and talk to Anderson, and he tells you that you have to go down to Eden Prime, and, and it's really – it's not – the, the boring mission that you that you've been told it was it's actually something far more interesting are you trusting of anderson at this point uh, uh christopher are, are you skeptical that this is maybe not exactly something that you're it's going to end up well for your character
3: when when i talk to uh, when i talk to anderson about this mission i um i asked for honesty, i asked what's going on and also when i'm given the full details of the mission i understand all right. No matter what, all right. Uh, it might not be exactly what it is, mm-hmm. but also it is your job to go out and do it, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, that's a character. You're the axon on the ship. It's your job to go down there. Uh, assemble team, go down there, assess the situation, do what you can. That's your job.
1: So Chris, do you, were you skeptical
2: about about the, the scenario or, or were you just, you, you trusted Anderson? in For the most part I was trusting Anderson because, mm-hmm. I mean, that's Shepard's CO. that's the boss. He's the guy who's supposed to pass long orders mm-hmm. and supposed to have this picture you would think for what the good thing is you're supposed to go do. I, I trusted that Anderson was straight up with me and tell me what needed to go on.
1: Now, and Justin, having read the book, I assume you're you're very trusting of Anderson.
4: Yeah, I mean whatever he says goes, you know. And I'm just gonna go down to Eden Prime and do whatever he needs me to do, pretty much.
1: A wonderful part of Anderson uh, as a character is he has this strong paternal presence without being, uh, like, finger-wagging. Well, Mm -hmm. he's a little finger-wagging in in two when you come and you're working for Cerberus. He gets a little finger-waggy. For the most part, he's very strong, but he trusts Shepard. He uh, thinks that Shepard is capable, and so he he kind of lets Shepard... Do what Shepard needs to do because he knows that Shepard is going to get the job done no matter what. You head down to Eden Prime with poor, poor Jenkins and Caden. Pretty much right out, right out of the gate, uh, Jenkins is dead. Everybody see that coming?
4: I kind of did. <laughs> <Red Yeah. shirt>. <laughs> <laughs> when Am he I? gives him the two finger wag on, I mean, it's kind of like, oh, this could this could end poorly.
1: After that, we end up finding Ashley. I'm actually I'm very curious, and and I'm gonna jump ahead just a tiny little bit. Christopher. Having played two, who's your Vermeer su- survivor in two?
3: Uh, in my primary one, uh, I chose Ashley. With all respect to Caden, uh, he's a good he's a good character, but also with all respect, he was a little bit blander and a little less beneficial to have around.
1: Mm-hmm. Ashley is very flawed at, as a character, but at least she's interesting. With Caden, I guess he's like upset that... He is a biotic, and he gets headaches? I mean, that's really the extent of his character.
2: Right, and uh, Caden was such a weak character, but I would have loved to have seen interaction between him and Jack later in the series, and I don't think they ever really did that. I mean, I killed him off, so I have no clue, but...
1: <laughs> it is so bizarre. I, doing doing my second playthrough, I, I had kill, I killed off... Caden, so Caden had been dead to me forever. Going back and playing Mass Effect 2 and 3 with Caden alive and Ashley dead, it feels strange. I'm like, what is? What are you doing here? Get out! Get out of here, Caden. No, you're no, unwelcome no visitor. Yes, it, it, he is unwelcome. He is unwelcome, and I feel. I feel kind of hostile towards him at all times. I'm just like, you're an interloper, Caden. I don't want to hear anything from you. (laughs) What do you think about Ashley,
4: Justin? Um, Well, Ashley was my uh, my romance option my first time through. For some reason, I didn't get Liara. That was my last mission that I did. That was tough, but... I actually, I ended up for my like my favorite playthrough probably was actually I did save Caden because I I became not very fond of Ashley's character because I was a big fan of Garrus. and the, I mean I was a big fan of the aliens on my crew and it didn't seem, like it seemed like she she wasn't I mean kind of kind of racist about the whole yeah, thing.
1: Yeah, and, and what's even worse is that she does like the stereotypical. Racist thing, where like, oh, they're one of the good ones. Yeah, it's and, really obnoxious.
4: Yeah, so I, I could really care less. And Caden, Caden, I always trust him. Trusted him, I think. Yeah, I um, mean, I, he's, he's not yeah. gonna, he's
1: not going to cut you. He's not going to he's not going to turn on you. Although he does turn on you, essentially in Mass Effect Two. Um, but for the most part, he's somebody you can absolutely trust.
4: One of my biggest complaints of the whole franchise is what they did with those characters, whether it was Ashley or Caden. Um, I mean, all the way from two and to three, and. They just became very unlikable to me, I guess, by game's end. Um, Yeah. It also it feels a little, a
1: little bit forced in Mass Effect 3. Um, I don't know, Shepard. I don't know if I can trust yeah. you. It's like, oh, I understand that for the first ten minutes. But after
2: that, really, just get over it, Caden slash Ashley. Yeah, I mean, actions speak louder than words. They should be able to clearly see that Shepard is trying to save the galaxy at that point. Exactly. And has been fighting Cerberus with them in, their, in his party. I mean, that did feel forced, I agree. Now that we get we get
1: her to the party, and, and that's good because you only had Caden um, since Jenkins you know bit the dust and you head you head off to find this prothean technology being that this is the beginning of the game prothean doesn't really mean anything to us at this point except for maybe justin they talk a bit about protheans in the book but not much right
4: uh not not a whole lot it's just Um, it's just
1: ancillary stuff you know in the side
4: I mean, nothing more. I mean, when you're first talking to Anderson, you're like, oh, you're Prothean Beacon. I mean, that's really all they touch on in the book, too, is Prothean is this hyper, I mean, yeah, like, hyper-advanced race kind of thing. Spe-
1: it's the, uh, an old species, and we don't really yeah. know. They're the ones who built the, the mass relay. But that's really all we know at this point.
4: Yeah, pretty much.
1: So you're off to find this beacon. All of a sudden, you know, you, and you you progress through the level, which is which is actually pretty fun, and you get to kind of explore and and see what all of the the intricacies of the uh, of the gameplay are like. You know, you actually get to bypass locks and and do the horrible horrible mini games um, <laughs> th- that they make you go that they make you sludge through um, through all this stuff, and you get to loot things and actually see what. Upgrading your your guns is like so you get to do all this cool stuff throughout the level. It's kind of kind of like an, uh, a, a tutorial slash intro level, uh, and then you actually make your way to the beacon. Except that you see Nihilus, who's running ahead of you a bit. You see him have a run-in with Saren, and you see Saren basically take him out for no good reason. Other, I mean, no, for apparently no good reason. I actually I want to start with Justin on this one because he has the the benefit of the book. Where I assume you weren't very surprised.
4: Um. Well, I mean, as soon as I saw Saren come into picture, I mean, I was I was pretty ticked. But once Nihilus kind, he lets his guard down a little bit. I mean, once he sees Saren and has just, I was, just, uh, well, maybe I was this isn't like, you're. So bad kidding me like i mean get your guard up going into it i mean i knew Saren. i mean was the bad guy after all so
1: right. when you see Saren shoot nihilus chris at that point did you realize that sarin was the bad guy of the first of the first one
2: well when they first met and started talking i was i was thinking there's got to be something more to this something doesn't feel right so mm-hmm. for lack of a better term my spider sense was tingling right and when he actually killed nihilus or shot him i went oh crap no. so what about you christopher
3: having played number two I knew that Saren was the bad guy. But also, going back to number one, I wanted to see how it happened. I wanted to see how Saren went bad, went rogue.
1: And then you eventually make your way to, to the uh, Prothean Beacon. And depending on your gender, either Caden or Ashley do the dumbest thing in the world and <laughs> just go walk right up to it and try to touch it. So uh, are, are all three of you um, male ships? Um, I am. I yeah. play as male Shep also. Uh, ditto here. Really? Because I'm fem Shep. I've tried to play both, and I and I do have a run as 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 dude Shep, as they say. <laughs> but I, poof, especially Mass Effect One. Mark Meir's performance as as male Shepard is uh, lacking.
2: That's fair. Honestly, if I'd played as Fem Shep first, I would have never played as a male Shep because it's, Jennifer Hale is so much better.
1: She's so yeah. good. I assume it's because I played as Fem Shep first. Um, but it also probably has a lot to do with the quality of voice acting. Shepard as a female is, it just seems. It feels right to me um, on, on kind of like a almost like a, a base level, you know, like my reptile brain is telling me that this is the way it should be. Um, but obviously, many many people play as 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 the male, and it's with video gaming, it skews heavy. But what's really cool about Mass Effect is that it would give you're given so many options that this is a this is a title that has a huge female following, and it's really because you know female Shep. Even though she isn't really shown much in the advertising, in the game, <clears throat> she's given just as much love and att- attention in the story as a male shepherd is, and that's I think is strong. That you don't see that in enough games. What, what, Chris? What do you think about what do you think about the situation where, not saying turning girls into gamers, but letting girl gamers, you know, feel connected to the series?
2: No, I agree with that, and I think. The strong point in this one is your shepherd is equally as awesome, regardless of whether they're male or female, and that's such a strong point for that. I mean, some of my friends I talk to that are women like playing the game because it's they don't try and do these arbitrary stereotypical oh, this is a female character. let's put them in peril all the time, like you'd seen some of the older RPGs and things like that. They make it so that female shepherd is equally as badass as male shepherd.
4: What do you think, Justin? Um. Actually, I I convinced my sister to play Mass Effect. I I got a younger sister, and she saw me play through it, and I was like, "Hey, you can actually play through a me- female character for this." If and so she started. Got she got into that, and she's actually on her end run in Mass Effect two right now. Mm. Um. But I mean, I mean, that's cool, though. I mean, that she can connect to it. I mean, who she's never really played video games before. I mean, and I can connect with it too. And it's just a. I mean, I don't know a more personal story. I guess it makes it.
1: What, what now, Christopher? As, yes. far, as far as female and, and male, what do you what do you think about about how is implemented with the female male system?
3: I personally like the fact that you have a choice between playing as a male or a female. Mm-hmm. We we have so many male action heroes, but yet also we have Lara Croft, Ellen Ripley, Catherine Janeway. We have a number of other female characters out there that are so strong and have so much depth in other media. Mm-hmm. It's welcome
1: if you're a a femme chef your relationship with with garris is slightly different even if you don't romance there's still this kind of weird tension uh you know and same thing with tally if you're if you're male and you know with jack it's really interesting in mass effect 2 because she has all these assumptions even if you're not hitting on her even if you're not trying to romance her in the game. Because you're a male and paying attention to her, she makes all these assumptions about what you're trying to do. And I think that adds a lot of information about the character that you're playing. People who have only done one playthrough as one gender or the other... I think it is worth your time to go back and do the opposite because you do miss out on a lot. Uh, only playing through, you know, one in one class, only playing as Paragon or Renegade, or only playing as male or female. Doing multiple runs, you get a lot more content. If you're if you're a male, if you're a dude ship, then Ashley goes all cra- all buck wild, and goes towards and tries to touch the the Prothean uh, beacon, and you you t- tackle her and get her out of the way. FemShep, Shep, you know, same thing goes, but for Caden. Shepard ends up touching the beacon and basically uh, having a, a crazy amount of energy uh, all pointed at him and her, him slash her. You see some sort of creepy bloody drippy mess uh as as the viewer as the player um and obviously Shepard doesn't understand what's going on uh and then you know collapse and you're brought back to the normandy so let's jump to the to the citadel so you go to the headquarters of of basically the the civilized galaxy you need to talk to the council the the turian the the salarian and the asari heads heads of, of of state i guess you could you could make it out to be they're basically in charge they're re- they're representative in in this big conglomerate of different species all on the citadel when you go and and actually well for, you meet odina who uh,
2: I, I have i've yet to find a single person who likes Udina. anybody here like Udina? He made my skin crawl when I met him. There was just something about him I was like he's not right. <laughs> uh, no, so I take <laughs> yeah, it that nobody, yeah, there's nobody. no way.
3: <laughs> no, no way. It's like I wanted to actually see within his shirt to see if it was stuffed. Mm. So basically, so. Uh, but yeah, it's like I wish we had an option to punch him. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> I wish we could.
2: Yeah. He came off like could. the stereotypically evil politician to me when yeah. I first met him, so I was I automatically mean, well, going, "I'm not going to like this guy."
1: And, and it, it, it's it's uh, jumping just jumping to, to Mass Effect three real quick. Um, you actually you start to see him as a human in Mass Effect three. So you get like, hey, he's not just a dick to everyone. He's actually being a decent guy who's trying to look out for um, humanity and and actually everybody, all the species. He's trying to help you get you know kill the reapers um and then bam just kidding he's actually super evil and you need to shoot him
2: (laughs) and and honestly when he started acting human i felt a little bad how much i hated him in the first two games like oh i guess there actually is some goodness to him Mm -hmm.
4: yeah i was confused by the hair like the hair color change in mass effect 3 i was like wait a second who are you why do you have yeah. black hair now?
3: It's a, it's, a, it's a rendering issue, but also it's like, yeah, yeah it's a, a, the thing I did like was that they made him a bit more of a character in 3.
1: So we're coming there to say, you know what, Council, Saren is, has gone rogue. There is some bad shit going on. Uh, we need to deal with this, and the Council, they don't want to hear it. Not And, and Saren, ugh, Sarah comes on via this hologram, and it is... <laughs> He's a a huge huge dick to, to shepherd Shepard uh, and and Udina as well. Uh, you know, basically having his bias as a Turian. It's also very interesting because now, obviously in in Mass Effect lore, the Turians and the humans humans first went out. You know, gallivanting into the galaxy uh, where everybody else had already tread. The Turians attacked them, essentially. It's because they were worried that they were going to mess with uh, all the good stuff that they don't know anything about. Um, so the, the First Contact War happened, and then hmm. that ended. And so now we're, we're peaceful with, with the Turians. But in Mass Effect 1... They make it very clear that humans and Turians don't get along, and you and the renegade options in one are just like, "I hate Turians. I'll spit on Turians at any chance I get," which is actually kind of really bizarre. But what's so crazy is that in Mass Effect Two and Three, that's basically dropped. They don't. There's not really any animosity towards hardly anyone. I guess maybe the arms dealer on the on the Citadel in Mass Effect Two, but beyond that. The, like, the, the Turian animosity with humans, that's pretty, pretty much dropped throughout the rest of the series.
3: The, uh, that has to do with the attack on the Citadel at the end of the game, mm-hmm. in which it would cement and smooth over relations with a number of species. Yes, it's still there in 2 and 3, but less so. Mm-hmm. So when you see that, it's like, all right, so Turians and humans don't necessarily get get along, or not supposed to get along at the beginning of the series. But into that... As a paragraph, when I played it, you have to give everyone the benefit of that. You just don't generalize. Mm. You give them their shot. Mm. Uh, Saren, all right. So he's a jerk, and also he's a grudge against not only you and Udina, but Anderson as well. And then when you say, but that's him. He does not speak for. The Turians as a whole.
1: But then the the other Turian, the Turian counselor, he doesn't make things better because he's a giant dick.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of what you see is humanity, humans and Turians don't respect each other on whole. And depending on what your choice is at the end of Mass Effect 1, that's how that respect is built.
1: Right after you, you come off this, oh man, and sure are assholes. Right after you get off that, you really, you go right, obviously they reject Shepard and, and tell him to screw off until he has some evidence. So we go off and find some evidence, and we come across Garrus but pretty much by chance. Like Garrus is investigating Saren because, it, 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 and he's interested in helping us, uh, and you get to have one of the best... They they call it a bromance, if you will. But you have one of the best character interactions for the entire series. I mean, Shepard and Garrus, pretty much no matter how you play, have a really, really strong friendship. Were you gung-ho about Garrus from the get-go, or did it take time for Garrus to grow on you?
4: Um, I was all about Garrus at the beginning. Um, I mean, the fact he was investigating Saren um, and didn't trust him. And it didn't seem when you first actually interact with Garrus that he was actually talking to the turian uh counselor Uh, no actually it wasn't the council member but uh um talking to him about stalling the council i was like okay this guy kind of works i don't know i got a sense that he works on his own terms or would like to work on his own terms kind of thing which i like
1: he's at least um uh, fed up with bureaucracy
4: yeah he just he wants to get the job done and i mean he knows saren's dirty and he wants to prove it and i was like okay you know that's a that's a good common ground that we've got there
2: what about you chris To be honest, Garrus didn't grow on me until Mass Effect 2. Mm. I I just couldn't get into the whole Garrus side of things. Maybe it's because I didn't really use him in my party that much, Mm and so I only really just did side conversations with him in between missions. But when I first met him, I was happy to find someone who was presumably an ally against Saren, because Mm. it seemed like everyone else was against me. Mm -hmm. especially if they weren't human
1: to be fair he does grow a lot in mass effect 2 because he has this whole uh dark angle you know all the all the characters that return in mass effect 2 and 3 they grow they 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 progress their characters quite a bit you know ashley well with the eh, exception of Caden, i guess Caden he runs to the the military i guess that's Mm -hmm. cool Um, he gets promotion yeah yeah actually is less of a racist um Liar is not a cardboard cutout anymore. Rex, I mean, well, to be fair, I guess Rex doesn't really progress. He, I mean, he progresses at, as he becomes a leader and takes charge, but he's, he, his personality doesn't progress is what I should say.
3: But then again, remember, it's a two-year gap mm-hmm. in between one and two. And, uh, and obviously,
1: and obviously um, you know, Krogans are long-lived. Liar is only, you know, compared to... Uh, other people in her species, she's very young. So she's growing up and having more experiences outside of the academics. It does make sense that she would have, she would change more. And Garrus, you know, getting off the Citadel, he would change more. And Rex, you know, who's lived, who knows how long he's lived, and he's just been aware of uh, and and trying to deal with, you know, the the mishap that is uh, the Krogan species uh, for his entire life. So it does kind of make sense that he would change the least out of all of them he's kind of he's kind of the han solo you know if we we're, th- we're thinking about the star wars as the analogy is that han solo's been around the block like he he's he's seen some stuff and and he's not new to this so he's going to be pretty much, he's he's solid, he's he's set in stone, not to be <laughs> no, no pun intended, um, but his, his personality <laughs> is, is locked in, whereas the other ones are still kind of, are comparatively young and trying to grow. Um, so that that is pretty interesting. Speaking of Rex, you go in with Rex and <laughs> your first interaction with him is basically him being harassed by C-Sec um, and it's, an, it, it's made clear that Rex isn't a, clearly a, a good guy, like make it very clear to you that Hey, Rex is not here to be buddy buddy. He's not here uh, to make you feel good. He's not here just to help you out and, and save the day. He has, a, you know, very specific uh, missions, and he's like, "I'm going to get this done, and I don't care who I have to kill." Uh, so, so Justin, what do you think about what did you think about uh, Rex when you first saw him?
4: Well, I when I first saw Rex, it was uh, down in Chloris' Den when I was actually on my way to talk to Harkin about Garrus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I had read about the Krogan in the in the book beforehand and I mean totally matched my like the image I had of these guys and I was just like Roots. I thought I was actually gonna have to fight this guy, um eventually. But it be bad. Yeah. Um he was just I mean, this huge badass that just I mean I mean him him and Garrus were my I mean, the two that I always rolled with, um, through Mass Effect One. Didn't take any crap from anybody and you know if you seek the enemy of my people, you're my friend or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the line that he has in c So, I mean, I don't know. We kind of, we kind of clicked from the get go. I felt.
2: What about you, Chris? I, I felt a lot the same way. Uh, Rex was the character I clicked with the quickest out of all of them in Mass Effect 1, because there was just something, I don't know, something unique about the character and the fact that like Justin said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, that kind of thing. It it just made it fun. And, and to be fair, he was in my party throughout the entire game. Mm hmm. Um, and what do you, and, and Christopher, what do you to think about Rex?
3: Uh, Rex, um, I, I had a harder time trying to relate to him, but also the thing is that also you and he have similar goals. The way that I related him was very different from how cli- quickly I related to Garrus. Garrus and I were the two that right. really, that, um, that really clicked. The thing <laughs> is that Rex, it's sort of the same, but also is that a little less so because of the fact that he's... He has a much more straightforward much more simpler motivation. Yes. I mean the, the guy's a straight bounty hunter. Basically he's Boba Fett. Okay? Yeah. He's a or should I say a cross between Boba Fett and Worf.
1: It is nice that you always know where you stand with Rex though.
2: He, there's not like uh, do you think do you think Rex is really on our side? No, no. You'll know. The, I was just in dread for the moment when he would not be on my side because something was happening where he was no longer Seeing me as the enemy of his enemy—that's what I was scared of happening.
1: Yeah, it, it, and, and clearly we we we'll see that later in the game. Exactly. Um, so we, we we go after Fist, which is really how we we you know we we, we use Garrus, We find we find information uh, and we find Rex. And Rex is after the same guy we are. We're after Fist because he has information that can help us. Incriminate or are finding incriminating evidence against Saren. So we head to Fist and did did everybody bring Rex uh, with you to the to the mission or did you leave Rex
4: home? Oh, I brought Rex.
2: What about so. you, Chris? I brought Rex. He was in my party throughout the entire game. And Justin, yes.
4: Yeah, same here.
2: Yeah, um, so we go see Fist.
1: Fight our way. We fight our way to see Fist. We get information about a quarian who has uh, incriminating evidence against Saren. Uh, and then I, I assume, since most of you know, most of the stuff is, is Paragon, uh, Rex shoots him. Uh, you can you can kill him, but Rex really is like, look, this is my job. I came here to shoot him. I don't I don't care what your mission is, um, but I'm I'm going to kill Fist. Um, then we go off and we meet Tally. Tally is at this point a- equivalent to a teenager. Now, obviously, space years and you know, it's, it's irrelevant what her actual age is. But as far as maturity goes, she is a, a teenager who's you know this is her first time out of the migrant fleet. She's going and, and trying to become an adult, and she's very scared you know obviously for good with good reason you know with all these people going after her all the time you see her and we meet her and she has the evidence justin i'm gonna say i'm gonna use the words fall in love i don't mean in the romantic sense but like become attached to the character from the beginning or did, did did you have to wait until Mass Effect Two to become truly attached to her, um, you know, in, in a strong sense?
4: Well, I I know I'm definitely in the minority here, but I actually was never really that attached to Tali. Um, I I wasn't super thrilled about having her join my party in the beginning of, of Mass Effect One because like I don't want to have to take care of this kid. Um, I'm trying to go after Saren. I don't know. I I never really clicked with her. She just. I, and I know she's—I mean, she's probably one of the more popular characters um, with everybody else. But I, I never really connected with
1: what her. What about her in two? Did you? Did, were it easier for you to, to become attached to her in two, or did or did she just stay flat for you?
4: Um, in two, I, I definitely connected with her a little bit more. Um, I think the fact that she had gone out um, and was actually—I mean—able to hold herself on her own, run in her own squad, kind of thing, and then actually when you have to get her at the, near the end part of the game. Um, she's actually, she's getting stuff done too. So, I mean, she, she had matured more, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, which was nice. And by Mass Effect 3, I mean, it was like, okay, you know, we've been through a lot together. I mean, she wasn't my best friend, but yeah, I don't know. She, I don't know. We, we didn't really, I guess, connect on a super deep level, I guess, ever.
2: What about you, Chris? For me, Tally didn't really grow on me until about partway through Mass Effect 1, just because the first thought I had is, all right, this kid's joining my group. What am I going to do with her? What's she really going to do for me? Mm-hmm. And then Mass Effect 2, I think, was where she became a, a really good character in my book. Just because there was just something about the tally in Mass Effect 2 that resonated with me and made her interesting.
1: Yeah. And, and, and what, what are your thoughts on tally, Christopher? In the first game,
3: I thought, all right, so, yeah, she may be young, but she can't be useful. Mm-hmm. So she came off as, like, the little sister that I never had. So when you do when you do that, it's like all right. So we'll tag her along. We'll see if she's useful. I the things that I played the character is if I welcome any resource and character that can help. So when that happened, when she came along, it's like okay. So she exposed. She helped me expose Aaron. She's she's proved that she's useful. Yes, she may be young, but also to refuse her help would be foolish.
1: With Tally's help, we we show the evidence to the council and. They they're like you know what this is... Oh, it is funny though because they're like look I know that you found a, a Prothean uh, beacon but we don't trust you Shepard oh an audio recording that could never be faked <laughs> this is obviously uh, irrefutable facts that Zaren has gone rogue um, so they disbar him from from you know Specterhood yeah. but that doesn't really it doesn't do much at all I mean he can't. Operate, you know, the way he used to operate within you know civilized society, but it doesn't really stop him from doing the bad things that he's doing. You haven't progressed really far. I mean, you're still pretty much on square one, uh, and they're not going to give you that. They don't care. That they're like, okay, well, you know what? We're not going to dedicate any resources to finding him. Uh, he's he's despectrified. We don't care anymore uh so obviously shepherd has to be sent in uh admiral admiral or he's not admiral Anderson, anderson at this point he becomes admiral later captain anderson uh it, it basically steps down slash is forced to step down uh as captain of of the normandy uh and hands over the reins to commander Shepard, uh which is which is a somewhat touching scene i i i think it's it's pretty interesting and then you're given three options uh which is kind of nice that you, you're, it's not strictly linear. Now, the game is linear in some form in that it has a plot. It isn't just free range. But the way you go about it, based on what you're interested in finding most, I mean, Justin said that he didn't go, go find Liara until the end of the game. Whereas I would say the, the, the way that they kind of, um, point you, the, the area they point you to is to go find Liara first. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but, you don't have to if you don't want to, and the ability to explore and go find other planets and and drive the Mako around, um, it, it's pretty cool. Now I, people have strong opinions about the Mako, the the little you know, uh, all terrain vehicle that you
2: that you drive around on on planets. Uh, so let's start out, Chris. What are, what are your thoughts about the Mako? I hated the Mako, just <laughs> because, been uh, trying to maneuver around in that and trying to shoot while you're driving at the same time. The whole thing just wore down on me after a while. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Justin, what are, your, what are your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I mean, I loved how it could just, I mean, it could scale anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it the thing was scale indestructible. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be going just straight up, uh, like the side of a mountain. I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. But, I mean, it was more useful just running over the Geth and, like, Geth Primes and seeing them kind of, like, fly up in the air a little bit. And just keep going instead of like sitting there shooting them. I mean, it was it got a little old pretty quick.
1: Uh, and uh, Christopher, I assume you have strong feelings as well. Uh, I sort of,
3: I'm in the, I'm in the middle of the road with respect to the Mako. The Mako is a functional part of the game, but also the targeting is just so tedious, mm-hmm. and because of the fact that you're trying to basically hit uh, a bullet with another bullet mm-hmm. later on in the game, especially with certain areas Mm
1: -hmm. first play when i you know this is my first time picking up mass effect and i'm playing it i died a lot in the mako i died over and over and i probably died you know i would be doing a level and i'd have to like restart two or three times and i'm like this is frustrating i have to be doing something wrong and that's when i realized with the mako you don't have they don't have to have the little red triangle you know the targeting you can outrange everybody you can shoot from very 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 far away uh, that and made that, it
2: much more bearable. Oh Yes, and, yeah, and at that point you're just sniping yeah,
1: everybody. So let's progress in kind of the way that they they I guess they want you to progress. Uh, let, let's let's head over to um to uh, Therum. and see go go. Now it is funny I when they when they said oh well you know. Liara, she is off somewhere. I'm not going to be dicking around with a little scamming device seeing which planet I can land on. I'm going right to the internet and finding which planet I need to go to. <laughs> because I I really, I, I did, in my first playthrough of Mass Effect 1, I did pretty much no exploration. I, did, I was not interested in playing around in the Mako on random planets, scaling mountains. I want to go and I want to see what's happening. I looked it up and I went straight there. We, we find poor Liara... You know, locked away, basically in, in this in in this kind of strange dungeon, like it's a space dungeon almost, to 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 protect herself, and we we have to fight our way through a whole bunch of annoying stuff to get to her. And what's fascinating to me is not so much the standard where hey, hey you know we leave the Citadel and go find and go right to Liara. What Justin did was wait until wait until the very end of the game uh, to to get Liara, and she's kind of uh, in a daze. W- w- what was your reaction, Justin, when you when you finally get to her and she's kind of gone crazy?
4: I was pretty mad at myself. I mean, for waiting that long. Um, I went the whole game. I mean, uh, having that little space, um, like for my squad mate. Like, okay, I got to be getting a new squad mate here pretty soon. So I get there, and she. I mean. She is just I mean almost lost her mind. Yeah, it, I mean it wasn't it wasn't the best move on my part. Yeah, that
3: was uh stop one for me. Mm-hmm, so yeah. I so you, I knew it was she, important. I was saying, oh, she was saying she was she was completely with it. She's just saying please get me out of here. That's all she was saying and saying all right, just hold on tight. We're going to get you out of there. You uh, get the really big space gun or whatever, and uh, you get her out of there. What annoyed me was the end Balonor, to get her out of there because, like, you had this Krogan and these other guy ga- and these other Geth, and you had this, like, pretty really little gun that you... Re- if you're starting out, it's frustrating because... They're overpowering you, and you have to get smart. Mm-hmm. So um, that, but even though that, once you get it, it's like it's not that bad. If yep. if you were to rerun it a second time it's with tough. all with, the, it's not a problem. It's like you just shoot, just like oh, just throw this, and it's like oh, you're fine. It's so the that first type point of thing. in the
1: game where you're kind of required to use strategy and really, really use cover instead of just kind of going, uh, you know, wild and, and just you know, printing and spraying. Uh, it's really you have to be tactical there. Otherwise, you're just going to get wiped out by that Krogan.
2: I spammed the hell. Out of that Krogan with all sorts of powers is what I was doing, and I kept trying to hide behind everything. Yeah, well, but but uh, did you did you go right to Liara? Or oh yeah, I went straight to Liara. I, I was sitting there. I was like, "There's a reason they keep telling me this woman's important. Let's go find out what it is she can do for me. Right? How she can help in all this." Mm-hmm.
1: Now, when you find when you find her and you get her out, uh, she talks about about her, how her experience with the Protheans, and you kind of learn a little bit more, and she helps you understand uh what happened in, with the, when you touched the prothean beacon which is pretty nice and you you start to understand well shit like so, nothing's good is happening this is much bigger than we thought it was this this isn't just a rogue specter going off and 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 working with the geth like this is you're starting to slowly realize that this is much, much bigger than all of us. We head off next to Novaria, which is, you know, the canonical ice planet. It, you know, it's Hoth in the Mass Effect world.
0: <laughs>
1: um, and you, you go there, and it, it is kind of – it's an interesting setting, which is, you know, it, like, hey, this is where, you know, shady corporations go, where there are no questions asked. And where where they can do pretty much whatever research they want to do uh you know it it's far it's out of the way nobody's going to go trek through all the ice to get there, and they're not nobody's happy to see you there uh, everybody's very either suspicious of of you uh, as Shepherd or they're actively hostile towards you, which is pretty interesting. Uh, And you eventually make your way through, uh, and you're trying to find Liara's mom, uh, Matriarch Benezia, because, hey, she was talking to uh, Saren on the tape that Tally had, tape, (laughs) listen to me, Uh, to the recording that that Tally had, um, space tape. We're trying to find her, and it's not easy, and all of a sudden... Bam there's all this extinct species uh, the the come out now Justin wh- what did you think when spider strange scorpion type creatures come attacking you when you think oh well this isn't going to be so bad like this is a, a place where you know businesses go or research labs go medical testing this is where we tr- we, we make drugs <laughs> you go there and bam there's these, these, an extinct species is attacking you
4: Yeah, it's like, I mean, everything has just gone to hell there, pretty much. I mean, which is the case wherever you go in Mass Effect, it seems. But you get hit once by him, you're poisoned, I mean, your health starts going down. It's just... It it wasn't fun fighting the Rachni, even though, I mean, I did eventually... I mean, we'll touch on that later. I mean, I did save the Rachni Queen, but... That was a, that was a tough decision because <laughs> I mean after fighting them the whole way through I wasn't really wanting to keep him around any longer. Yeah. What, what about you, Christopher?
3: When I was playing through it, for one, you mentioned Hoth. Basically, this is like Andor in Star Trek. Finding the Knight was incredibly frustrating because of the fact they're it, they're just bugs. It, it it felt like you were in the midst of an Aliens movie. Okay, so but um, also you knew that uh, this was also the second preferred stop. Uh-huh. And also you see all these corporations, and also you're thinking, okay, this is Wall Street. Mm -hmm. So this is basically Wall Street if they went to an ice planet. And what about
2: you, Chris? I'd kind of let my guard down a little bit going into that. I was like, okay, it's it's this corporation center. I'm not gonna have to worry about much. And then, once the Rachni started happening, I was like, "Oh man, now I got to fight again."
1: <laughs> yeah, and so we, we finally make our way through through this, uh, you know, horribly, you know, this this science project gone awry uh, of of them bringing back this extinct species. And, and mind you, an extinct species that once uh, all tried to eliminate, uh, you know, everyone else in, in the entire <laughs> galaxy. You know that we had to uplift the Krogan to to defeat really it, it this isn't just oh, you know, this is one extinct species of many. This is like the extinct species, which I think you don't really even uh get the full impact of it until you play through uh the the future games and you and you get to go to Chuchanka and you get to see you know the effect of the genophage and what the War wars actually meant to it, the Mass Effect universe. In Mass Effect 1, you, you don't have this attachment to it quite yet because everything's still new and, and you don't really know what's going on quite yet. So people say, oh, well, the Rachni. Ed, Rachni could be anything. It could be I, I, just one of many, but it, it actually turns out Rachni are really, really important to the mythology of Mass Effect. Agreed,
2: and I think that if I'd played Mass Effect 2 before I played 1, my decision about the Rachni Queen might have been different. Uh,
1: yeah, it's, it's a good point. Um, so we get there. We we deal with, with Major Arpenesia. She is not having any of the mess. Did everybody bring Liara to this mission? Yes. I think I
2: actually did bring Liara on this one.
4: Um, Well, seeing I got Liara at the very end. Oh, you did? I, I forgot. Oh. Talking talking first playthrough, it's like, oh, hey, Liara. Yeah, I killed your mom while you were in your bubble. Whoop. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Whoopsies. Yeah, yeah, sorry like, yeah, sorry, sorry about yeah. that. Also, <laughs> it is bad when Liara if you get Liara at the end, she's not there's nothing for her to do. Yeah, I yeah. mean
4: she she can talk to me about my brain a little bit, I mean but I mean really elementary and I mean then. You're like, Yeah, we know uh, yeah,
1: Liara.
4: Like, where have, where have you been this whole time? Yeah. Oh that's right. Um, <laughs> I I <laughs> my dropped the ball on that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um so and then we 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 end up Essentially, killing matriarch Benezia, uh, mm-hmm. who is clearly indoctrinated. Mean, you know, in retrospect, boy, is she indoctrinated. You know, you think like, oh, but she was so well respected and well liked among the Asari for her to go bad. Well, she didn't really go bad. She was just really indoctrinated the entire time.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's
1: not her. It's not her fault. It's really uh, the Reapers and Saren's fault. Well, it's Saren's fault fundamentally because he found information and was like. Well, this is clearly scary, bad stuff, but I'm going to keep going forward until he gets indoctrinated. Um, so it, it, it's much like the elusive man is semi-responsible for things happening. Saren is also semi-responsible for things <laughs> happening, despite the Reapers wanting to drive it all. Let's skip forward to the to the point in the Rachni Queen. So the, basically we've, we've found a way to you bring back the Rachni... And you have the ability to say, hey, this is a horrible, horrible species. Um, they've done horrible things, but the queen promises that she won't do anything bad. Justin, you said that you
2: saved the Rachni Queen. What about you, Chris? Did you save the Racknight Queen? I saved the Rachni Queen, and it wasn't because of any sense of altruism. It was because I thought I might be able to use them in the future because they'd owe me.
1: But you didn't worry that they might come back and destroy the galaxy?
2: <laughs> uh, I did. I'll be honest. I was sitting there. I was weighing those odds, but I figured they might be scared of Shepard.
1: Yeah, it is true. Or, or, you know, hey, Rex is pretty scary. Yeah. Uh and what about you, Christopher?
3: I spared the I spared the Queen as well. It's a tough decision. But they love to also- they
1: love to make Shepard commit genocide though, because in Mass oh. Effect three, you're committing genocide left <laughs> and right. Oh hey, well, there's an entire sentient species going on. What are you do? Yeah, exactly.
2: I thought they'd come into play at the end of Mass Effect one. I figured they'd come help me against Saren or something at the end. I wasn't expecting it to take all the way out to Mass Effect three for them really to play a role yeah. again.
1: And then they also kind of did the 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 hand wavy thing where it's like even if you killed the Racknight Queen, it's like, oh, the R- yeah. there's another Racknight Queen! <laughs> We're just keeping this in reserve. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, And the same thing happens with, with Udina and Anderson, where it's just like, at the very end, you, you get to pick, uh, of Mass Effect 1, you get to pick who you want in in office to represent humanity, and, and by the time you get to Mass Effect Three, it's like yeah, yeah, the, your your opinion didn't really count because we don't really care. So, and I get Pharaohs. Does does anybody have anything to say about Pharaohs? Because I mean, yeah, you're you're saving the 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 colony of of Zeus Hope. Um, you're you're helping out some people, and and clearly the Thorian has a lot to do with indoctrination. Uh, but it's not. Pharaohs is the least interesting level to me. What, what do you guys think? I yeah, hate gas grenade. Really, mm-hmm. that, that's something I hated that them. it is. It is kind of silly that this this is an aspect that you, you, that is not in any other part of the game. Uh, and it's like, well, you have to use these now. Alternately, you can just go buck wild and, and just slaughter the entire people. <laughs> <laughs> and what do, what do you think, Christopher?
3: Uh, well, for one, I just want to say one thing. This was the first game in which I really hated bridges, because the fact that, for one, you had to go through the entire bridge sequence in order to get to the other side, mm-hmm. and then stop on occasion, snipe a few people, get out, go into certain tunnels, get back in the car, and then go keep going, and it's just like, will this thing just end? darn well end already? Yeah,
1: yeah if, you, if you cut out pharaohs, you really wouldn't miss much of the, much of the rest of the plot.
3: Yeah, you get you get like mentions of, of hope later, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, it doesn't really play an integral part in two or three. It's just there. Right. So, don't, don't in they that,
2: show up as a war asset in Mass Effect three or something if you save mm-hmm. them? Yeah. yeah.
3: but you get like what twenty five? Yeah, it's nothing. For the that. grand scheme. That's what I'm saying. You get there. It's like if you were to cut out Pharaohs. It wouldn't really matter. No. So it's like, just get down to Visas already. Do have it, to is, here?
1: it is somewhat interesting because you see the Thorian and you see that, like, the Thorian has something to do with indoctrination. And so it kind of gives you this interesting flavor. But I feel like Pharaohs is more of an expanded side quest than an actual plot mission. Yeah. Agreed.
3: Yeah. It is a, It is an expanded side quest. It's basically just a really big mission that gives that almost nothing. Yeah. In the grander scheme of the trilogy itself. What about you, It's just there.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, you think that's that's only the storyline of the Cypher around that, pretty much. Um, It it felt kind of just thrown in there, I guess. Um, Like, hey, we need to make this game a little longer, I mean, story-wise, so let's throw it in there. But like you guys said, I mean, it's telling... I mean, if you do that Mass Effect Genesis comic um, importing to 2, it doesn't even mention Pharos at all in there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even coming straight from BioWare, I mean, in a thing where, okay, you're supposed to influence your decisions, I mean, it has no real bearing, I guess, on anything in the future.
1: It's true. Uh, I mean, it, it's only very, very, very minuscule stuff. So then we, we end up in, in Vermeyer and where we actually get to see Saren face to face um, for for really the first time. Uh, you know, you have this uh, fake boss battle where it's like, <laughs> oh, here's the, here's the bad guy, you gotta fight him, but not really. Just kidding. He runs away, which is kind of. They set that up, and Kai Lang does the same thing in Mass Effect 3. Oh, yeah. Uh, exactly. He runs away, and Vermeier, uh, for the most part, the interesting part of Vermeier isn't really the part that is the moving the plot along. It's the stuff you have to do with your crewmates. You get there, you find Captain Kirihe, Solari- the, with the, the Salarian group, the STG. Um, they're, they're, hey, you know, Saren is... Making these indoctrinated, I guess, th- th- are they actually breeding Krogan, or are they just cloning them?
3: I think they're breeding. I think they're doing both. The thing is that, yeah. um, from what I understood, Saren uh, developed a cure and was experimenting in growing them. So, growing, cloning, breeding—I think I, I think you could pretty much put them all under an umbrella term. Yeah, and uh, it would be presenting a new threat right. but also it would be a corrupt cure they're
1: not, yeah they're not they're not true krogans. no they're not no, um they're not. so uh, clearly a an army of an, of you know of these indoctrinated Now we're not using the words indoctrinated in the game really yet um yeah the, but th- that's what they would be essentially they would be indoctrinated krogan fighting for for uh the reapers for sovereign um so, that would be horrible, because the last thing you want is a bunch of zombie Krogan. I mean, in you think about it, in Mass Effect 3, we see huskified, you know, we see huskified Batarians, we see Asari, we see Turians, and of course, humans. We don't see Krogan. Think how horrible it would be if you had a husk version of a Krogan.
3: Oh, that would be very, very scary. <laughs> Um, Charging you, but uh, like uh, ten times worse. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that we, yeah, you know what? Let's just get to the next part. Yeah. <laughs> that's just like, let's not think about that, please. Yes.
1: <laughs> um. So you you meet up with Captain Kira. He, you know what, Rex. He he can't take it anymore, and he is not happy. Here's the part where everybody who's playing all Paragon or all Renegade. We get to do a, a a nice little thing. Well, oh, actually, you know what? It's not because you can add charisma, and you, we're still in the point system. We're not using. Mm-hmm. Oh damn! I forgot. So does ever did that? Was everyone able to persuade slash intimidate Rex into not going crazy, Christopher?
3: Yes, I basically talked him down. Uh, the thing is that I knew that Rex, uh, even though yes he's upset, but also killing him would be of no benefit. Mm-hmm. The um, thing is it? that. In but. the end, he is the he is your contact into the Krogan, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, if you lose him, you lose an entire race, yeah. and you don't want to do that. Yes, these yes, it's secure for the Genophage, but you don't do it like that.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not it's not what you it's not what. In the end, you're, by by talking him down, you're not only helping you, you really are helping Rex and the Krogan because. It, 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 even even if you were able to get Saren Saren's cure, it wouldn't be what we want. It's not what it's not what Rex really wants. It's not what the Krogans really want. It sounds you know superficially like something that you want, but obviously with our with our knowledge of of
2: you know indoctrination and everything, it's not it's not going to be helpful. Now, what about you, Chris? This was the one I'd been dreading because I was assuming there was going to be some kind of falling out point between Rex and Shepard. Mm-hmm. And selfishly, Rex had been in my party most of the time as a damage sponge, so I kind of wanted to keep mm-hmm. him there. And at the same time, I kind of thought as Rex was like Shepard's brother-in-arms almost throughout the game because they were always on the field together. I persuaded him and thankfully was able to do so just using most of the Paragon attributes and things like that, but mm-hmm. oh, I can't even imagine. I've done a playthrough of Mass Effect 2 without him, and I hated Reeve, and I've seen the videos of Reeve and Mass Effect 3 and how that changes. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I saved Rex. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: true. It, it, Rex adds a lot to the rest of the, of the series. And Justin, were you able to uh, persuade or intimidate?
4: Oh, I tried. I tried real hard. But um, to charm him or, I guess, persuade him, you know, hey, cool him down, and then Ashley comes over and blasts him off with a shotgun. Um, yeah, Vermeier wasn't good for me.
3: Uh, <laughs> That's very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, yeah but-
4: yeah, so, I mean, having to lose two squad mates in that. But, yeah, losing Rex, because, I mean, I was like Chris in the fact that I had rolled with him through the whole thing. And that Rex, Rex was no more.
1: Yeah, I I had learned very, very... I mean, Mass Effect 1 is the only one in the series that does this. But if you can if you can put money into... Pers- or money. But if you can put points into Persuasion, always, always spend points yeah. on Persuasion. <laughs> yeah, um, I learned the point.
4: hard way on that one. Yeah.
1: Um, so I, I, I was able to uh, persuade uh, Rex, because, uh, I had done that. I immediately, as soon as I can put more points into it, I, 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 charmed the hell out of them. The other, as, as Justin alluded to, the other big thing, uh, is that, Hey, you know what? <laughs> There's a nuclear missile or rather a nuclear warhead that's going to go off and you can only save one of your crew members. Like you have to pick Ashley or you have to pick Caden. And the one you don't pick, that one is going to die and it's going to die for the rest of the series. That person will no longer exist to you. Um, I personally, I think it's quite clear that I picked Ashley. Um, Despite... Despite that, Caden is is a love interest to our potential love interest to uh, FemShep, even in Mass, all the way to Mass Effect One. I didn't want to romance Caden, so um, <laughs> I I uh, I ditched him. I, I I killed him off right away. Uh, Justin, which one did you end up uh, end up uh, killing?
4: Well, I had initially, uh, since I hadn't met Liara yet, I was like on the road to romancing Ashley. But I mean, as soon as she had just blasted off uh, Rex, I was like. I don't really want to save you. I'm kind of ticked at you right now. Um, but, I mean, after after some much deliberation, I uh, decided to save Ashley.
2: And Chris? Oh, I saved Ashley because I hated Caden. He was just <laughs> so boring. And my shepherd was romancing her at the same time, too, so that probably came into play as well. Right. And what about you, Christopher?
3: I saved Ashley as well and, and uh, killed off Caden. The thing is that it's not that – well, obviously, I agree with Chris – Caden was a little less interesting, but also I wanted to keep the option open for Ashley to be there, just in case things with lear didn't work out but um for me for the time being, I was like Ashley, as I said before, was a much more interesting character, So I retained her and yeah. that was it
1: so at the end of Vermeer, you we know, are like, oh hey, you know we have to go to to to, Ili- I- to and uh have to go and get and, and, fi- and basically we're at the end game like this is we're we're pretty much headed down. Uh, to to the end path, um, we we end up meeting a Prothean VI, which ends up not looking very much like a Prothean. It's just kind of a, a scrambly hologrammy mess. And w- we learn pretty much that uh, what what Reapers are, and the mess that we're in, and how screwed we are. You guys, now if, if I remember correctly, it's more or less on rails the the, the through most of Ilos. Um, you're not actually doing a whole lot it's basically like, hey, let's get all the way to the VI. We really, really need to get uh, to to the VI to, to wrap things up. Is there anything... Uh, Justin, did you find Ilo's, uh very interesting?
4: I did. Um, it was it was a really cool atmosphere. Um, I mean, you look at those, like, the statues, and I mean, I was looking at those as maybe being Protheans. So, I mean, it was kind of cool to get that lore aspect, I guess, but I, I wanted to know um, what you guys did uh, when you had to go for the Citadel for that last little bit, mm-hmm. and you were talking with Anderson and the um, in Flux I think it was did you have him go punch out Udina or did you do um, I, can't, I can't actually even remember what the other choice was
2: I think he just breaks into his office otherwise okay. yeah exactly
4: Yeah, so uh, you either uh,
3: send Anderson up to the tower and have him uh, basically go through security or you go to the office and have him punch out Udina and take over the control, controls from there uh, I chose Anderson going to the office punching out Udina so oh yeah yeah, because get, because you couldn't do it yourself. Because you yeah. do it yourself. It's like good. It's like good man. It's like thank you, sir. Yeah, and uh, and you escape. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it meant it meant it meant going against uh, the council's wishes. But then again, it's like this is for this is for all of life, boys. So it's like mm-hmm. you better get you better make a choice. Yeah. So you want to get out of here? It's like yeah. So d- do it, sir. Yeah, and any I chance was, to
4: punch you, Dina is a good chance.
3: So. Exactly, exactly. Because since you couldn't do it yourself, let Harrison do it. Right. Besides, I think he enjoyed it just a little bit. So, okay. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, uh, going back to Ilos, um, you knew that this place was um, steeped in history. Mm-hmm. You see all these pods. But also, it's like, yes, get to the VI. Get to the VI. That's the key one. And when you get the visual, it's like he explains everything. Is like, oh, boy. Mm-hmm. So this is big. This is really big.
2: Yeah, you think everything was so simple, and then you see that, and you go, oh, shit, there's a lot more going on than I ever imagined. Yeah, it's like, oh, you thought you
1: thought Saren was just piloting around a big ship? No, 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 no. It turns out it's actually one of many sentient robot
2: uh, cuttlefish. It's one, of those, it's one of those typical Bioware moments where they drop something big on you, and you go, oh, crap. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this really, this is, you know, with the equivalent of of
1: Knights of the Old Republic, this is the Revan reveal equivalent. Exactly. Oh yes,
3: absolutely. Coupled with what you see on Vermeier, with you actually talking to Sovereign, it's like, and getting the second part of the Prothean beacon, mm-hmm. putting all that together in that moment, and you're thinking, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, yeah, what are we going to do now?" Yeah, so,
1: we're so screwed.
3: Yeah, it does, <laughs> and and it. It steals your resolve. It always steals your resolve. You have no other choice. You're committed. You gotta go. Get to the goals. Like get to the next part because quite frankly, you are it. And that's it.
1: Yeah, when I when I had my friend, uh, my, my very, very best friend that I've known forever, I, I had him play Mass Effect, and he's you know, he's talking to me about it, and he's like, you know, t- talking about the geth and I'm just like I'm thinking to myself the entire time, I'm like, Man, the geth are the least of your worries. <laughs> Do not worry about the geth. Like,
3: yeah, the man, geth are The Geth are ants at that point. They're just the foot soldiers. They're the cannon fodder. When you see – it's like to realize that the Reaper, it's not a species that's like the Geth. The the Reaper makes the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building, if you're to put them in on in and make that three, maybe four times as tall – yeah, you understand that the threat is quite real and quite powerful, and quite frankly, you need to get your butt in gear.
1: And that, at the, pretty much, at this point, you know that Sovereign is going to attack the Citadel, and things are things have gone to hell. And Shepard is basically the only one that knows any of it. They is really the only one that that is aware of, that there is any sort of higher level thing going on that. Saren isn't the one driving this. This is a Reaper. This is horrible, horrible news. The Protheans, you know, this is how the Protheans died fifty thousand years ago. This is all. This is you know, it, the dominoes are all starting to fall, uh, and you have to get your ass to the Citadel um, because Sovereign is on is on his way, and and bad things are going to happen. Um, you get there, there's a huge, huge fight going on, and you basically have to make some very tough decisions. Um, the big one uh would be do you save the council uh do you you know try to to prevent them from dying or do you save you know potentially thousands of lives of of a hum- on a human ship uh this is i you know one one is a, a you know a quote unquote paragon option the other one is a renegade option um but i really think there's much more gray area here because yes the council is important and i'm not saying that they're not but also thousands and thousands of lives it's that's a, that's a lot of people. Um, so, Justin, what, did, what what did you pick? Did you pick to, to save the council or to save thousands of human lives?
4: Well, being the morally great character that I am, I decided to uh, sacrifice the council. One, because I, by that time, I was kind of fed up with the council and then not believing a single word that I had said. Um, like It was like I was beating my head against a wall. And also, I mean... I wanted it to take down Sovereign, um, I mean, no matter what the cost. So, I mean, if the Council was part of that sacrifice, I mean, so be it. Right.
2: Now, what about you, Chris? I saved the Council, and part of my thinking was that by saving the Council, you prove to the rest of the galaxy that humanity is ready to have a larger role.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Because that's what everyone had always been saying throughout the game, is that humans weren't ready to be there. Humans weren't good enough compared to everyone else, and this was the chance to prove that. And that you might need the council later on. And what I was thinking at the time is, they're seeing all this stuff. How can they not believe me in the future? Mm-hmm. But you 100%. know,
1: and, and and clearly there's a lot of, of political benefit to to saving the council. But if you look at it like a strict like how much how many lives am I saving? I feel like it's not easy to say that it, that it's renegade to save that it's truly renegade to save. Mm-hmm. The, the ship of, of thousands of human lives. That's a lot of people. Uh, and I, I, it, it's, it's one of those, it's morally gray. It is not clear cut. What about you, Christopher? Which one did you pick?
3: I saved the council. The thing is that, um, yes, it was a very tough decision. You either sacrifice half, your, half the human fleet, half the alliance fleet, or you sacrifice the council. Uh, the thing is that... Um, I was, I was on the fence on this one, guys, because the fact that, for one, there was no way you could get out of this without some type of ramification. Mm-hmm. However, I saved the council because, they, quite frankly, if humanity was to do their part and take their place in a larger community, they have to be willing to sacrifice actual lives in order to do it. Yes, it's not an ideal situation. Yes, it's a shaky deal. But if they were willing to do it, and if they were willing to help the council, mm-hmm. I believe that it, in the end it would benefit everyone involved a little bit later, or at least I thought at the time.
1: Justin, did you when when the time comes, you know, you we win, we we kill sovereign. Uh, hey, everybody, cheer! This is the this is the medal ceremony of Star Wars. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
1: Hey, we won. Um, do you? basically uh influence the council to uh, put or uh, Udina or Anderson
4: oh uh, Anderson all the way
1: and Chris oh Anderson and no other choice
3: oh Anderson, no yeah. doubt
1: it is tough because you you know on one hand Udina really wants the job and he is a politician on the other hand uh Anderson is your friend and he obviously would do what's right but he doesn't even want the job. Like it's not yeah. a job that he wants to do. So it, it, it it's one it's another one of the, it's it's not a clear cut. It's not like a save a pile of kittens versus, you know, shoot a bad guy. It's 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 a it's a tougher decision. Uh clearly the paragon option, the one that that, you know, Space Jesus would make is put Anderson on the council, <laughs> but that that gets it's waved waved away uh at the at the Mass Effect 3. I I ended up putting Anderson on, on in the council, but I feel like if I were to go back and redo my canon run, I feel like I might put Udina there because it frees Anderson up. It makes, it's because Anderson is such a, a, a great character to you. I feel like it's, it would be better for him if you just skipped the whole putting you on the council at all.
2: Well, my thought was I trusted Anderson to be able to do the right thing Mm in what would be going forward and be able to put the best face on humanity, considering Mm -hmm. I thought Udina was just a giant tool, for lack of a better term. I thought that Anderson painted a better picture for humanity, how you'd want the galaxy to see them. Mm -hmm. He's brave. He's noble. He wants to do the right thing. Mm -hmm.
3: Exactly. Uh, When I put anderson in there was an option if you were to play it stay uh, with udina basically putting forth his his ideas like well it's like why are you putting it, it's like why are you putting it up here and there's an uh, there's a renegade option stating i'm not choosing you and you know what i was tempted to just say that saying dude you are basically a stuffed shirt you are not being chosen deal with it yeah. but i didn't I wanted to, but I did wish.
2: I wish there was an option to laugh in his face when he floats his <laughs> name out. <there. laughs>
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to do that. However, um, Anderson is, has always been the steady character mm-hmm. in the series. And you also know that he's not a politician. And in the end, at least, yes, for a time, he might, uh, it, especially with noting what happens in 3, definitely work in that way. He's a, he doesn't work for his own interests. He works for humanity's interests. Mm-hmm. And that should be the best benefit for everyone. So I chose him.
1: Yeah. So yeah. the other another interesting aspect of Mass Effect besides the main plot, which is really what we've been spending a lot of time on, is the ability to explore other worlds. Even worlds, like, even, there are even worlds where really nothing is happening. Like, yeah, you might get some resources here and there, like the mineral resources, but it, there, there's not a ton happening on all the planets. Um, did Justin, did you enjoy the, the kind of free roam aspect or did you stay away from that?
4: I enjoyed it. Uh, I guess, I mean, I try, my philosophy is to do every single side quest that I can, um, in, but in Mass Effect One, I mean, it was like I'm in the same building, like just different planet. I mean, it was fun. I mean, exploring that. I mean, having free reign. But it, it it did get very old after a bit.
2: Yeah. What about you, Chris? I had the same philosophy as Justin. I try and do as many side quests as possible, so at least on my first playthrough. When I do these things, I try and do everything. And like he said, it got really old because your environments really didn't change that much, even though you're mm-hmm. on a different planet. Yeah. It's something that got Slightly much better
1: at. crates.
2: <laughs> yeah. And when yeah. you play Mass Effect Two and Three, they're so much better at making you feel yeah. like you're in a Different place, mm-hmm. yeah. And what about you, Christopher?
3: Uh, I feel the same way as Justin and Chris. It's basically, it felt like, oh, it's like this furniture went uh, just got moved around. We must be in a different place, you know, that type of thing. But even at that, um, it, it, it I, I tried to be a completist and do everything possible, every side quest, every can, every find, if I could. But even though I don't, didn't necessarily pull build that aspect.
1: No. Who does, man? Who can find... It it would take so long to find every Turian. Like, oh, this is an Asari Matriarch script. Woo! Yeah, those are boring. I I did, in my first run, I basically didn't... I I did uh, some side missions. Like, I ended up doing the Cerberus um, side plot. Um, with the, with the admiral on the citadel, um, yeah. I did that, and that was pretty interesting because you get to learn uh, about like this you know this rogue group that later on becomes important. That was cool, but other than that, the the vanilla side missions, I just I didn't I didn't do that. I didn't in my my very first run through. I didn't in subsequent run throughs, but my very first one, I didn't even do the the crew member side quests like getting Rex's uh, armor or whatever. Like I didn't even do those. Um, because I just wanted to get through the main game. Going back and doing it, it's it's much better when you when you do that because you get more in depth. You get to know the characters better. You get to explore the universe more. Um, but just knowing that it's there really helps. Really helps make the universe seem bigger than than uh, you you would think if you just if you were only allowed to go to the you know. Hey, you know you're on you're on the Normandy, you're on Eden Prime, Citadel, um, Novaria, Ferros, Vermeer, uh, Ilios, and then back to the Citadel. If you could only do that, it would be like okay, I guess there's only this a few planets. But with this, you're, you you just knowing that you can explore so many planets, I think mm-hmm. is helpful, even if you don't do it out uh, yourself. Um, romances, uh, I, I, we talked a little bit about this, but just real quick, um, Justin, who did you did you end up having a successful romance, and if who wh- who was it?
4: It w- it was Ashley.
1: Okay, and, and was, with, did yeah. you end up? D- was it successful or or did it kind of fizzle out at the end? Um, like j- just
4: talking Mass Effect One. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean it was went all the way through, and um, she ended up in my cabin for the night. So yeah.
2: Chris. Oh, I also uh, went with Ashley because Liara uh, just seemed too naive to me in Mass Effect One mm-hmm. in parts of the game. I went with Ashley. Mostly because I wanted the achievement at that point. Neither one of them really were that interesting, I didn't think. Right.
1: And then, uh, Christopher, you went with Liara, right? Yes, I did. Uh, the thing is that uh,
3: when I was talking more with Ashley, her attitude towards other people, towards other races, really ticked me off. And mm-hmm. I, I, I felt like the odd element that really didn't fit. She, she, so, I, mean,
1: she's, I think purposely they make Liara in the first game they make her very awkward. She's socially awkward. She doesn't yeah. know. She doesn't know how to really deal with people other than other than the small group of academics she's worked with. She's very new and she's very young. You know, in, in sorry yeah. terms, she's she a kin. She's closer. She's closer to like what a college student would be now in in humans. Yeah. Um, she's like that where she just she just hasn't been out there in the real world dealing with real people. Um, I, I too romanced Liara as my friendship, and I I stay true to her throughout the other three. And it, what's great is that Liara becomes a much more interesting character throughout yeah. 2 and very 3. Very much so.
3: Oh, absolutely. Um, and uh,
1: so you're rewarded, yeah. but in the first game, you're just like, well, I guess I have a, a blue space lady who is yeah. now my romance. I mean, yeah. she's, other than that, she's just not very interesting in the first one, but yeah. man, it, she really blooms in in, the, in 2 and 3.
2: Right. My second playthrough of Shepard, not my canon Shep, but has been, faith, has been faithful to Liara throughout, but... Mm-hmm. My canon playthrough was Ashley, and then he'd get rid of her. <laughs> She's yeah. Back.
4: Yeah, I was Yeah, I mean, I was the same exact way. I mean, after everything that happened in Mass Effect 1, I mean, I did do another playthrough of getting Liara first, saving Rex, how how I ideally I'd like it to be.
1: Um, so we're, we're running a little long, so I, I just kind of want to finish this up by talking about the DLC, which... Obviously, DLC has become a much bigger thing. This is very early days of, of this generation of consoles, so uh, DLC has become much more prominent in in you know AAA titles like Mass Effect. And clearly, Mass Effect Two had a lot of really good DLC. But Mass Effect the first the first Mass Effect had two pieces of DLC. One is a story based DLC, and one is a silly DLC. Um, Pinnacle Station uh, is the one that nobody likes. Uh, so, Justin, did you even did you even play Pinnacle Station? Uh, and if so, did you like it?
4: Um, I didn't really like it. I did play it. It was mostly just to get uh, experience um, and just get leveled up, pretty much.
2: Right, uh, Chris. Uh, this was back in my days. I was very much anti DLC, so I didn't play either DLCs. Oh, I see. And then, what? And then, uh, what about you, Christopher?
3: I played both DLCs. Pinnacle Station was much more like honing your skills, right. getting experience, honing your skills, making sure you get used to the interface, all that stuff, yeah. but also trying to just like see if you could. Beat everything just it, to see it, it if you would, could. It's it a be, challenge.
1: Yeah, it would be not. It would. I wouldn't mind Pinnacle Station if it was in Mass Effect Two or Three, but because one, the the combat in one is just it's not very fun, and and having a DLC that's all combat, it's just it's not particularly interesting. Now, bring down the sky is much more interesting because number one, this is the first time we meet Batarians in, in the Mass Effect uh, game. This is also you get a, a you have to make a decision that it is morally gray it is not black and white you have to weigh risks versus versus you know reward um so because chris sorry like you, you didn't you didn't play this um but christopher what did you think about what did you think about bringing down the sky and then of course and did you save the hostages and let him go or did you kill him and let the hostages die
3: i let i let the guy go the thing is that uh, with that many lies at stake, you can't um killing him and sacrificing that many people is just i i just couldn't do that so mm-hmm. i I let him go at and I told sleep and saving those people also I said there will be another time, yeah. there will be another time it 's got to play out some other way, and also you can't do it with that many people at stake so mm-hmm. when i said when I saw that, I let him go, yeah, I hated it i didn 't want to do it because I knew this guy
4: was going to be a threat again, mm-hmm. but also I told myself you will see him again. Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: what about you, Justin?
4: The um, first time I went through it, I um, I really enjoyed uh, the storyline of the whole DLC, but uh, I actually I killed him and sacrificed the hostages with my morally gray self. Just, I mean, with the mindset of, you know, if I end this now, I mean, there won't be any repeat of this in the future.
1: I mean, the one nice thing about letting him live, letting him escape is that in Mass Effect 3 you actually get Mm -hmm. to meet him again. Uh, yeah. and he gives you the Batarian if if you if you can persuade him, which almost everyone can. Uh, if you can persuade him, he will give you your, the the what's left of the Batarian military, essentially, to help fight the Reapers, which is nice. And, and not that you can't do that if he's dead, you just get a generic Batarian instead of a Batarian that you already know. Justin, what's what's your Twitter handle? Where can people contact you?
4: Um, it is JMac one one three eight on Twitter.
2: Okay, Chris, what, what, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Roundtable Nerds and. What uh, Christopher, where can people find you on Twitter?
3: If they can find me at c b u n y e,
2: Please follow them the, the uh,
1: Quadcast uh, Twitter handle, and that is M-E-Quadcast. So I'd like to thank all of our panelists for taking the time, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Thank you very much. I'm Grant Bruner. This is Quadcast.
0: Promise me you'll let me be the one The worst of all your enemies Pretending you're a friend to me Say that will be never seen Being a brilliant man going to great expense devising